everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty good. It's December now, which means I've been able to open up the first couple of days on my Advent calendar. That's been a nice time for me. But if it's Advent calendar time, that does mean that winter is fast approaching. Which means that it is time for many of us to ask that age-old question that comes up this time every year. Should I invite a bear to my slumber party? I think we've all been over this question before, and it's a personal decision that I can't make for you, but let's just go over some of the pros and cons of both sides of this argument. So on the con side, as they prepare for winter, bears get awfully hungry, and they might eat you or one of your other guests. That's a definite con. Also, assuming the hibernation kicks in while the bear is at your house you could end up with a bear sleeping on your sofa for the next several months, which could be pretty inconvenient. On the other hand, that bear knows that hibernation's coming, so they're probably going to be in the mood to party because they know they're not going to get out for a while. Back to the con side, that partying may take the form of eating you or one of your other guests. But that potential danger is balanced by the fact That having a slumber party guest who stays asleep for several months at a time gives you a wonderful opportunity for pranking. Put that bear's paw in some warm water. See what happens. Pee. Bear pee. That's what's going to happen. Or you got three months to get a sharpie and draw some penises on that bear's face. Or like, put a bunch of shaving cream on one of the bear's paws, and then when it wakes up, it'll get shaving cream on its face or or something and it'll probably need to put shaving cream on its face so you can shave off where you drew the penises on its face there's some kind of slumber party thing where you put shaving cream in somebody's hand right where that's a semi-solid would that make them poop themselves like warm water would make them pee themselves anyway if you invite a bear to your party you'll have some time to test this empirically Now, when that bear wakes up, it is probably going to be pretty angry about all those pranks. And it might eat you or one of your other guests. It's just up to you to decide if that's a risk worth taking. In summation, I don't know how hibernation works. Or slumber parties, for that matter. So let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Grayson Starr. You know the show's over when the walking fuss hits, but when it starts, you get hub synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Grayson. Now, in that rhyme, Grayson mentioned walking fuss, who does the outro music at the end of this podcast, and I just want to mention, walking fuss also has a couple of my favorite holiday songs, DIY Christmas and DDT for Christmas are both great, and you should check them out. They are Walkin' Fuss featuring Marcus Reynolds, and they're both great. Defenders, number 63, September 1978. Dollar Bills Documentary Disaster, Part 2, Deadlier by the Dozen. Written by David Anthony Kraft, 
drotted by Sal Buscema, inked by Jim Mooney, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Roger Sleifer, and edited by Bob Hall. Defensive lineup. Valkyrie. Hellcat. Nighthawk. The Hulk. The Falcon. The Prowler. Ms. Marvel. And Son of Satan. Jack of Hearts. Polaris. Stingray. Black Goliath. Iron Fist. Captain Marvel. And Hercules. Nova. Marvel Man. Torpedo. Captain Ultra. Paladin. White Tiger. Havoc. Tagak the Leopard Lord. And Iron Man. And maybe kinda sorta Sagittarius. Whirlwind. Porcupine. Beetle. The Blob. Batrock the Leaper. Plant Man. The Looter. Electro. And Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice and the Professor and Mary Ann and Jesus freaking Christ, that's a lot of Defenders. Previously in the Defenders. A few months ago, our heroes journeyed to Russia where they fought a nuclear-powered dipshit named Sergei, who had adopted the oh-so-clever codename, Codename Sergei. Codename Dipshit had stalked, blackmailed, kidnapped, mentally subjugated, and performed dangerous experiments on former defender Dr. Tanya Belinsky, a.k.a. the Red Guardian. The stupidly pseudonymed scumbucket was about to destroy the defenders when Tanya broke free from his mental command and informed Codename Bag of Crap that she didn't want to be his girlfriend. Hooray! Heartbroken that the woman whose life he had destroyed was not romantically interested in him, Codename Fuckface hopped in his flying fart chair and floated away to mope around the skies of Siberia, like the pathetic shitheel he was. While Codename Shitheel was float-farting around the tundra, the defenders returned home and fought an evil cult of blue oyster cult-quoting demons bent on world domination. For this adventure, they were joined by Valkyrie's new pal and collegiate classmate, Dollar Bill, a boisterous billionaire film student who decided to record our hero's exploits for posterity. With considerable difficulty and an assist from their old pal Doctor Strange and a new pal named Devil Slayer, the Defenders eventually triumphed over their demonic adversaries and returned to their Long Island headquarters for some well-earned rest. Unfortunately, their respite proved to be a short one, for unbeknownst to our titular non-team, Dollar Bill had turned the footage of their recent fiend fighting into a documentary, which was about to air on network television. The film ended with Dollar Bill imploring any superheroes in the audience to come and sign up for the previously clandestine cadre of crime fighters known as the Defenders. The morning after the documentary was broadcast, no less than 19 super-powered individuals from throughout the Marvel Universe responded to Bill's impromptu membership drive and arrived at the Defenders' headquarters. Hijinks ensued. Nighthawk responded to the unexpected guest with predictable ill temper and started chasing Falcon around and trying to punch him. Valkyrie and the Hulk offered inexpertly made coffee to their visitors. Hellcat flirted with Captain Ultra and Jack of Hearts. Despite having no previous experience with equestrian arts, Nova, White Tiger, the Prowler, and Marvel Man decided to attempt to ride some of the unattended horses. Bad move, new defenders! Horses' heads are too big and terrifying! Well, the compatriots played cowboy, another group of heroes decided to embark on an even more foolhardy course of action. In a flagrant violation of the rules of hospitality on par with the Red Wedding, Torpedo, Black Goliath, Iron Fist, Havoc, and Tagak the Leopard Lord decided that the Hulk, who was sitting in the bushes quietly enjoying a moment of contemplation, was an existential threat to humanity and should be ambushed immediately and taken into custody. Gadzooks! 
With 23 costumed characters appearing in the last issue, how many more will be featured in this one? What is the first threat this newly overpowered Defenders roster will tackle? And is there anything a group this size whose members have such disparate backgrounds can all agree on? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Ten. Ten more costumed characters. A preteen carjacker. And yes, they all agree that Nighthawk is an asshole. Chaos has erupted on the grounds of the Defender's compound. Several of the new Defenders are attacking an understandably perturbed the Hulk. Others are attempting to ride some now-panicked horses. And Nighthawk is still chasing around Falcon like a petulant asshole. I guess Tony Stark caught wind of what was going on out here and thought to himself, you know what this situation calls for? More superheroes. Because this is the moment that Iron Man decides to stop by and drop off some of Hellcat's mail that's been cluttering up the Avengers mansion for a while. As he is doing his best impression of a shiny metal Mr. McFeely, Tony casually mentions that back in the city, a bunch of supervillains were inspired by Dollar Bill's movie and decided that if they too were defenders, then nobody would stop them if they did a bunch of crime. Bizarrely, this plan seems to be working for them. Valkyrie, Hellcat, and Hercules are alarmed by this development, and decide that they need the rest of their costumed cohort to stop trying to murder each other for a second, so that they can devise a plan to deal with the criminal element that is besmirching what little remains of the Defender's good name. In the end, it is Hercules that figures out a way to get everyone's attention and calm things down. He uproots a giant tree, and hits everyone with it. Hooray! Once they have been thoroughly smacked with a tree, the assorted heroes chill the fuck out. Iron Man figures this whole situation seems like a real shit show and sneaks off while nobody's looking. Good call, Tony. Hercules takes advantage of the arboreal assault-induced detente and gives a little, well, for him little at any rate, speech about how all the good guy defenders need to team up to beat up the bad guy defenders. Fair enough. The Hulk isn't having it, though. He doesn't particularly feel like getting all palsy-walsy with a bunch of jerkholes who tried to beat him up in his own backyard. He leaps off for parts unknown. Bye, the Hulk! Val decides that they should split up into three teams so that they can cover more territory, then head into Manhattan to find the fake defenders and take them out. She will lead one group, Hercules another, and Nighthawk will lead a third. Kyle is somewhat pacified by having someone call him a leader in any capacity, and apologizes for being such an asshole earlier. Hmm. We'll see how long that contrition lasts. Spoiler, lasts about a page and a half. Valkyrie chooses a group consisting of the Falcon, who basically calls not it to being on Kyle's team, Torpedo, Stingray, the Prowler, and Jack of Hearts. Hercules chooses Hellcat, Havoc, Black Goliath, Iron Fist, Captain Ultra, and White Tiger. Nighthawk is left with Nova, Son of Satan, Polaris, Marvel Man, and Tagak the Leopard Lord. As the teams are being chosen, Captain Marvel, Paladin, and Ms. Marvel stand off to the side and are like, Um, you know how we said we wanted to be Defenders last issue? Well, we don't anymore. Bye! Valkyrie and her group of heroes take to the sky. Hercules is like, Shitteth! 
I didst not consider transportation. But Patsy is like, that's cool, Hercules. I got this. You know what will totally be the perfect vehicle for me and six huge muscly dudes, including the 25-foot-tall Black Goliath? That two-seater sports car I tricked Kyle into giving me a few weeks ago. Everybody pile into the Hellcat Mobile. And, implausible as it seems, everybody piles into the Hellcat Mobile, and off they go. Kyle is like, Alright guys, let's go! And launches himself into the air, not taking into account that one member of his team, Tagak the Leopard Lord, can't fly. Damn it, Kyle! With their initial impression of Nighthawk's arrogant buffoonery confirmed, the rest of his squad picks up an embarrassed Tagak the Leopard Lord and sadly follows their incompetent leader into the city. Never one to accurately read a room, Kyle leads his already mildly mutinous crew to Greenwich Village, where he spots a middle-aged bald guy who is yelling that a muscly supervillain who identified himself as a defender has stolen his car. Team Nighthawk leaps into action and brings back the yelly guy's vehicle, only to find that the purportedly muscle-bound super-powered thief was actually the guy's preteen son who was playing a prank on his asshole dad. Oops. Kyle's crew loses what little respect for their leader they may have had left. Hooray! Meanwhile, in Siberia, codename Fuckface is floating around in his stupid fart chair. He feels bad about some of the fucked up shit he's done. Not stalking, blackmailing, kidnapping, mentally subjugating, and performing dangerous experiments on the Red Guardian, mind you, but some other different fucked up shit that he did before that. Turns out that back when he was working for the Soviet government, Codename Crapwagon did some nuclear-assisted genetic engineering and accidentally created a new kind of amoeba that eats atomic energy. The government decided that the amoeba was too dangerous, so they locked it up in Siberia. Codename Shitwaffle is worried that when he was flinging around nuclear nonsense in his fight with the defenders, his creation might have hoovered up all the loose nuclearness and leveled itself up. Surprisingly, for once in his life, Codename Fuckwit is correct. When he arrives at the containment facility, he finds that it is destroyed and an amoeba the size of a Winnebago is running amok. Using the type of reasoning that earned him his codenames, codename Fart for Brains decides that the best way to neutralize a mindless creature that eats atomic energy is... That's right, blasting it with atomic energy. Damn it, codename Fuckface! When the beam of energy hits it, the gelatinous mound of destructive nuclear goo grows even larger. It sucks up Codename didn't think things through, drains most of his power, and saves the rest so that it can snack on him later, like he was a crappy consent agnostic granola bar. Hooray! Back in Manhattan, Hercules and his gang of cramped commuters arrive in the city. After driving around a bit in Patsy's overstuffed Hellcat mobile, they run into a gang of nine supervillains who are looting the stores in the Diamond District and telling everyone who will listen that they are defenders. The non-ed of ne'er-do-wells consists of Sagittarius from the New Zodiac, Whirlwind, Porcupine, Beetle, The Blob, Batrock the Leaper, Plant Man, Electro, and appropriately enough, The Looter. Team Hercules piles out of Patsy's car and begins beating the shit out of the fake defenders. Hooray! Although actually I'm not sure it's fair to call these guys fake defenders. I mean, 
One of the defining characteristics of our titular non-team is that it's an organization which doesn't have any governing rules or bylaws. So technically, these bad guys have every bit as much right to call themselves defenders as our heroes do. Shitty. And this is why I don't vote Libertarian. Hercules punches the Blob, White Tiger kicks Batrock the Leaper, Black Goliath punches Whirlwind in the tummy, Patsy takes down Sagittarius, and Iron Fist kicks a sack of diamonds into Electro's face. Hooray! Things are looking pretty good for Team Hercules. Then they aren't. Because just when the good guy defenders appear to have the bad guy defenders on the ropes, the cops show up and tell everybody to knock it off. Hercules explains to the police that his team of defenders is trying to stop a gang of criminal imposters from terrorizing the city, but Sagittarius pipes up and is like, Nuh-uh, we're the real defenders, and we're trying to stop Hercules and his gang of imposters from terrorizing the city. Sneaky move, Sag. Unable to decide which non-team is the real defenders, the cops decide to play things safe and arrest everyone on general principle. All 16 assorted heroes and villains assembled are taken into custody. Surprised Patsy doesn't offer to drive them down to the station. To be continued. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am doing okay. Glad to hear it. How are you? I'm okay. I'm a little out of it. I think I'm having some, like, delayed reaction tryptophan. Oh, there's no delay in my reaction to it. I have had 48 hours of turkey. Oh, I thought you were going to say 48 hours of sleep. Oh, that's too much. Can you imagine, though? I think you would feel worse. Yeah, maybe. Is that what that movie was about? Nick Nolte goes to sleep, and Eddie Murphy tries to wake him up the whole time. (laughs) Do you think Nick Nolte's character was racist even in his sleep? Yeah, in fact, I think Eddie Murphy was like, ah, let him sleep it off. Yeah, good call. Mm. Well, you want to talk about a comic book? Sure. All right. Corey, what'd you think of this comic book? Deadlier by the dozen. Um, I thought it was pretty fun. It didn't really accomplish much, and I want to know what Team Valkyrie is up to. I do, too. It was the team that intrigued me the most. And yeah, I kind of, in my mind, started calling this issue... Oops, all shenanigans. Mm -hmm. Because that's pretty much what we get. There's a brief interlude with codename Fuckface, but mostly it's just wacky hijinks. Like, this is the... I want to say the everything's going great montage from the movie, except for everything's not going great. Everything's going weird. Everything's going weird. Particularly weird to me, and maybe this is jumping ahead, but is when uh, Team Hercules when the cops finally show up. Yeah. And all the bad guys and all of the good guys and all of the in-betweens are all super-powered people. And, like, one, like, old gruff policeman's like, hey, you guys are under arrest. And everybody's like, okay, sorry. Yeah, it totally reminded me of when I was bartending. I think I might have told you this story before, but I developed a pretty good dad voice. Mm -hmm. And there was one time where, like, these two really big dudes were beating the crap out of each other. And I bellowed from down the bar, hey, knock it off. And they both immediately got really sheepish. I I was like, okay, guys, you have to leave. You, you go outside right now. And then in 15 minutes after I'm sure you've left and I'm going to check, this guy's going to go out. And the guy goes, okay, fine. And as he's leaving, I see him try to palm a cue ball. 
you know, presumably to try to murder the other guy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, put that back. He's like, sorry. (laughs) But yeah, it's, there is a weird reaction to perceived authority Mm -hmm. where it is just kind of like, oh shit, that guy says I have to stop. So I guess I'll stop. Mm -hmm. Maybe that cop just has that kind of aura. Although you would think being supervillains or superheroes, maybe the superheroes defer to him. It's weird that the villains do. It's super weird. Also weird is Hercules doesn't respond with his usual uh, bombast, I guess. Yeah, that was kind of surprising to me. So we get nine more defenders. I mean, sort of. They're villains who declare themselves defenders, which establishes kind of a gray area because... I mean, if all you have to do is say you're a defender, are they any less defenders than the new good guy defenders or the original defenders? Mm. I mean, I'm going to say yes, but I can also see that they're trying to capitalize on a gray area that they found there. I found myself throughout this entire comic book being very, very cross with Dollar Bill for unleashing this Pandora's box of defenders. He did a bad job. And you know he's just taken that uh, that box that just has hope left in it mm-hmm. back to his pad, mm-hmm. smoking that hope up. The real hope head. Oh, I'll put in the rim shot there. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably got that Pandora's box labeled Dollar Bill Secret Stash. Keep out. Yeah. I found myself getting very confused by all of the... Defenders new and old in this book and I didn't feel that bad about it because it seems as though the creative staff also got pretty confused by the onslaught of Defenders. There were a few things in which it seems that they totally lost track of who was who and what they were doing in the last issue which was frustrating because I found that that kind of lowered the stakes for me. Mm. Like if this story isn't important to the people that are telling it It's tougher to invest myself in it as much. And they're minor things, but, like, they switched the roles of some of the heroes. Like, the sneak attack on the Hulk from the No Peripheral Vision squad Mm -hmm. now includes the Prowler and not Iron Fist. And then Iron Fist suddenly got switched to the cowboy crew that's riding around on horses at the beginning. He's lost control. He has. (laughs) That was, that kind of made up for. (laughs) It was fun. But that happened, and then throughout it, there were a bunch of weird coloration issues, which lent to the confusion. Mm -hmm. And it's a different colorist on this. It's a name we've seen before, but it's Roger Sleifer, who was the co-writer, along with David Anthony Kraft, when Kraft first took over the book. Hmm. But I don't think we've seen him do colors before. And for the most part, he doesn't do a bad job, but there are situations in which it was hard to figure out who some of these characters that I already have a pretty tenuous grasp on were when they were colored wrong. Mm -hmm. Like Captain Ultra shows up, I think, on the second or third page, and he's just wearing a yellow and black outfit. Mm. I was actually trying to figure out who that was. I think it has to be Captain Ultra just because I think he's the only caped and cowled person there. I mean, besides Nighthawk, who we see over there and has a really distinctive... Mm-hmm. outfit. Bird, bird we also see next to Nighthawk is a miscolored Hellcat who is wearing an all-black uniform and has blonde hair. It's just there were a bunch of little things like that 
And whether Havoc was drawn with a black or white outfit seemed to change from panel to panel. Yep, that's true too. And that stuff just kind of threw me off a little bit. Like, it's it's understandable, but it also was just kind of, oh, man, it takes me out of the story a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think you see that at the end, too, with Havoc's. And that one he's back in black, but in the earlier one, he was definitely wearing a color swap version, like a negative image version of his outfit. Which would almost make sense with the, if that was the way they were illustrating his powers being used. I don't mm. know. Um, but you also see in that one, Captain Ultra is also drawn just wearing all black. And where there was an introduction of so many new villains, keeping track of whether they were looking the way they were supposed to became really difficult for me and trying to figure out exactly who they were. Mm-hmm. So let's just start talking about the villainous defenders that are introduced in this issue. I'll go through the list, and if there are any you don't know, then we'll uh, we'll talk about them. How's that sound? Sure. So, ones we've seen before, so I know you're familiar with, are Plant Man. Yep. Um, who controls plants and has a weird little domino mask, and it's kind of a sad sack, given that he has a really powerful power set. Sagittarius, from the new Zodiac. Yep. yep. As created by Scorpio. Nicknamed... Uh... Sag or Sag. Yeah, Saggy. By, uh, saggy by um, Hellcat. Yeah. Porcupine, who we remember from the the Plant Man story, but he had joined the EST movement. And he just looks like a big shambling haystack, but I guess can shoot weird gases out of his quills or something. As porcupines do. Uh-huh, he's got a lot going on. And I think those are the only ones that we've encountered in this book before. Other than that, we've got Whirlwind. Were you familiar with him? No, I think all of the rest of them were mystery folks to me. Whirlwind is one of the few villains that is generally associated with Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, the Wasp and Mm Ant-Man. And we do see that Black Goliath references Hank Pym as he is taking him out. I was wondering why the name drop was there. It seemed a little weird. (laughs) I read that as being a really fun diss on Hank Pym, and I don't think it was necessarily intended that way. Mm. But as Black Goliath takes out Whirlwind, and just real quick, Whirlwind has a green metal mask with little horns on it which would generally lead you to believe that he has magnet powers, but he doesn't. Hmm. He instead spins around real fast and makes a little tornado out of his legs. And so he makes like little tornadoes. And also sometimes he has buzz saws uh, on his wrists. He's a real jerk. He is kind of a weird stalker for the wasp and keeps professing his love for her and or trying to kill her. He's a real creepy fuck face. But when Black Goliath takes him out, He says, I used to work for Hank Pym, and I know exactly how to turn you off. I read that as, Hank Pym turns everybody off. (laughs) If there's anybody who knows how to turn everybody off, it is Hank Pym. That guy is a real fucknut. That's how I read that. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Because that guy's a real Mm fucknut. Other bad guys we got. We got the Beetle. Pretty standard bad guy scientist makes a uh, science suit to do crimes. Mm-hmm. His suit is fucking weird looking. He's got these droopy little fingers with suction cups on the end. Really creeps me out. Seems like maybe he's going to try to suck your brain out with those. I don't know if that's a thing he does, but it seems like he might. Yeah, I, that just seemed like a dumb costume. It, it is a dumb costume. In terms it's of functionality. And, it, it seems like it would be much harder to control weird droopy melty fingers than regular kind. They look like um, 
Those little frog frog feet, those tree frogs with the little suction cuppy looking things. Oh, yeah, totally. Or, yeah. You should name himself the tree frog if he's going to do that. Yeah. That way people would think he's cute and harmless. Exactly. And then mm. they lick him. And whoa! Tripping balls! Yeah, psychedelic freak out! Woo! We have the Blob. I assume you know him from X-Men? Um, yeah, vaguely. I don't really remember his shtick other than being big and blobby and hard to punch. Yeah, that's pretty much it. He is an immovable force, basically. So if he, if he sets his feet, then he can't be moved. Oh, it's the opposite. Because uh, Juggernaut's, Juggernaut's the irresistible things. force, ah. and the Blob is the immovable object. I'm pretty sure they fought before, but uh, yeah, he's the Blob. I think his name is Fred Dukes, but that might be the guy that Jean-Claude Van Damme played That's Frank in... Dukes. Oh, I wonder if they're related. Oh. Probably. Batroc the Leaper? Oh, Leaper. Yeah. Oh. Uh, no. He leaps. He kicks. He's fucking rad. He's generally portrayed as a mercenary who doesn't even really seem like all that bad a guy. He's got a fun name, he loves life, he loves crime, and he shows a surprising dedication to whatever crime crew he's working with. I really like Batroc the Leaper. It was nice to see him. I like when you leap into action and you reference yourself by your full bad guy name, too. That's a pretty good calling card, just in case people don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a second, third tier guy. You got to mm -hmm. do some self promotion. Sure. I bet he is way up on social media. Mm-hmm. I mean, that twirly mustache. Yeah. Very grammable. I'm surprised he hasn't paid us. Yeah. For a little speaking bit. If you're a third rate. Yeah, that would be defender. a great way for you to up your uh, publicity game. If you are trying to break into the super villainous ranks, send us a check for fifty dollars. And we'll talk up your bad guy name and uh, make you really sound more villainous. We won't just make it sound like we're afraid of you. We'll get into character and be afraid of you. Mm -hmm. That's the tighten up the defense guarantee to any of you burgeoning supervillains out there. So make those checks out to tighten up the defense. P.O. Box 20311 Portland, Oregon 97294. Do we? Do you, wait, you need a bank account to... Yeah, I'll open one. <laughs> All right. Electro. Were you familiar with Electro? I feel like I should be because he's got some stuff going on with his face part of his costume. His face part of his costume is rad. It's he just decided to do a big like lightning bolt sunflower out of his face mask. But like as just a two dimensional representation that he kind of sticks his face through like he's at the fair mm -hmm. and like it wants to pretend he's a strong man or a mermaid. Yep, that's cool. And then also he's got kind of lightning bolt shaped suspenders that hold up his uh, speedo. I think he's just wearing a full green bodysuit that has lightning bolts on it. Ah. I think they look like suspenders in this panel. I think generally it's just a green bodysuit with lightning bolts all over it, which is still pretty cool looking. Still pretty good. Mm -hmm. And he controls electricity. He's a Spider-Man bad guy. It's a good power. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. And finally, we have the looter. He shows up towards the end, and I was wondering if he was a coloration mistake, because he doesn't have any lines. But he's got a white bodysuit with little purple face painty bits on it. Just throws quaaludes at everybody? No, that would be the looter. Oh. He's the looter, so he attends Ren Fairs and plays a uh, little old-timey <laughs> guitar. Oh, which is worse. 
No, he is actually a creation of Steve Ditko's and was a nod to his objectivist and Randian beliefs. Uh, I think looter is a one of the objectivist terminologies for somebody who takes from society without contributing to it. But he, he was a scientist who found a meteor and then uh, inhaled some meteor farts from near it and then got all super-powered, but only a little bit. Hmm. So is that an endorsement or a warning for your thoughts on fart etiquette? Well, it says meteor gas. I'm assuming that's the meteor was farting. Um, that meteor should have eaten its own gas. If it had, then I think the superhero community would have had considerably less trouble with this fucker. Mm. So I think it would be an endorsement of the policy of trying to eat all your own farts. So meteors, humans, everybody out there, if you fart, gobble it up. <laughs> nope. Well, agree to disagree. So yeah, th those are the bad guys that are introduced in this and decide to set themselves up as uh, defenders. I'm not sure what kind of a loophole they're hoping to exploit. It doesn't seem like it works. I think if you saw a purported superhero robbing a bank, you would just say, oh, I guess that guy's not a good guy. You wouldn't just be like, well, seems to know what he's doing. And you see that play out at the end. Mm -hmm. Although it does perhaps create a little bit more confusion, especially when it is two teams of kind of B or C list characters. I felt especially bad for Black Goliath when the cop does show up because... He's got in one hand, like, holding a giant bag that says money. And he's like, what? I'm just returning these to where they belong. Yeah, that usually isn't going to go over great for mm -hmm. you. And we see that that is the point in the battle when they are intercepted is the good guys are more or less winning. And, like, Iron Fist, too, I think, is holding a big sack of diamonds that he hit Electro in the face with. Man, that's got to suck. Oh, yeah. Oof. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do not want that to happen. I wonder if any of them thought about incorporating more diamonds into their costumes. I know that at least some of the heroes are very wealthy, Iron Fist in particular. And I mean, sure, he's got an Iron Fist, but his feet are nothing special. So maybe he could put diamonds on the soles of his shoes and, like, maybe get himself a sweet Paul Simon theme song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a rich boy. Yeah. He doesn't try to hide it. No, diamonds on the soles of his shoes. What? Shanana. <laughs> uh, Fat Charlie the Archangel? Nope, that's a different song. He makes the sign of a teaspoon. She makes the sign of a wave. No, that's a different song, too. Oh. oh. They ended up sleeping in a doorway? Probably. Is that teaspoon wave thing about cocaine? Oh, probably. Didn't help his bridge song writing. Oh, that was in the Feeling Groovy days? Oh, um, I don't know. I, that doesn't seem like a cocaine-fueled venture that's definitely no. much more in the maybe shut up weed realm <laughs> just would have been faster and worse yeah that's a good point <laughs> have more lyrics about how handsome he was <laughs> feeling groovy and handsome <laughs> would repeat the chorus again half a second after the first chorus mm -hmm. just louder because it assumed that you hadn't heard it sure yeah so one of the other potential artistic miscues and i don't know if this is the case but Iron Man shows up for all of, I think, two panels. Mm -hmm. Maybe three. And when he first showed up, when he was in the background and you saw him flying towards the heroes, it really looked like a recolored Jack of Hearts. Mm. And I was wondering if that was an error with the art that they then tried to correct through writing. I'm not sure if that's the case. And I, 
I don't think I'm basing it on too much other than like he then just like disappears off panel with a little thing at the bottom that says, convinced that Hercules has the situation well in hand, Iron Man again takes to the sky. He just shows up for a second is like, hey Patsy, you had some mail. Here you go. By the way, bad guys say they're defenders. See ya. I'm off. Mm-hmm. So either it's a weird uh, DSX machina move on his part, or that is a recolored jack of hearts that they wrote around. But it was weird seeing Iron Man in this. It was weird. Brief. It doesn't seem like just super heroic delivery man would be the way he would spend his time. No, he's got better things to do. He thinks he's got better things to do. Exactly. And there are many other current or recent Avengers that are around. Like, Ms. Marvel says, like, hey, I'm an Avenger now. I just showed up for shits and giggles. Um, bye! Yeah, but I, I mean, think the Marvels had a good call, actually, <laughs> at the beginning of this whole book. They're just like, okay, fuck this. Well, I, th- I think the timing on that may have been, they start divvying up the teams via various leaders. And so Hercules chooses first. And then when they're not on the Hercules team, they maybe take a little step back from the group. And then Val chooses her team. And then they see that if they're going to stick around, they're going to be on Nighthawk's team. So I think that, like, yeah, Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel, and Paladin all just, like, took a giant step back at that point Mm -hmm. to keep from volunteering for Kyle duty. Yeah, I, well, we're on that topic, appreciated the way that uh, it was handled in terms of nobody really wanted to be on Kyle's (laughs) team. And and I feel like to date, he's, he's been this kind of, this character we're supposed to, like, I don't know if it's a sympathetic character or how you want to... I think we're supposed to think he's a cool guy. Yeah. Sort of. Or sympathize with him. Or he's like something. basically a regular dude during the day. Just has money and stuff. Yeah. Like, so they're like, hey, I could... Yeah, he's a, you know... like that. Good old populist billionaire. I could boss around a bunch of supers. Yeah. And, uh, no. In this case, everybody's just like, okay, I guess we'll be on your team if you you know, behave. Yeah, try to tone it down. Get over your anger. You see that Nova's trying to have a good attitude towards it, and he's like, yeah, we'll do great. So will Son of Satan. (laughs) Yep. It was weird how he roped him in at the last minute, Mm -hmm. where uh, I'll find the exact line. Kyle says, that means the rest of you are with me. Any objections? And uh, Nova says, none. Nova's itching for action. And so is Damien Hellstrom. Mm Mm-hmm. You see kind of a look on Damien Hellstrom's face where he's, he's like, looking at Nova like, dude, fucking seriously, dude, really? Come on. And oh. then, yeah, uh, Tagak the Leopard Lord volunteers the rest of them. And Polaris is like, oh, what about those guys? <laughs> and they're like, oh, um, and they all make various excuses. I like Captain Marvel's excuse the best, which was just like, nah, you guys suck. Bye. Mm-hmm. Everybody else at least like makes some kind of a nominal excuse. But I think that works with his character. You know, he's a space alien. Maybe our uh, Earth social conventions are not his strong suit. Sure. So he's just like, yeah, fuck you guys. You guys suck. I'm leaving. Out. Mm -hmm. Marvel, out. Polaris also does have a a few panels later, a a regret moment where she's like, oh, man, I wish it wasn't too late to change teams. (laughs) Really cracked me up. She has a couple. She also is, like, not taking any shit from Kyle, which manifests itself in a couple of ways. First of all, Kyle starts flying off and going way ahead of everybody, heedless of the fact that Tagak the Leopard Lord can't fly. So the rest of the team has to be like, oh, uh, yeah, we'll carry Tagak. He's a good guy. Mm-hmm. 
And then as they're flying, they're like, hey, Kyle, will you slow down? Uh, we're carrying an extra person. He's like, fine, is this slow enough? I know, he's a real jerk about it. He's a total jerk about it, to the point where Tagak then says, I'm sorry I can't fly. Mm-hmm. And that's when Polaris is just like, Tagak, you're not the one who should be apologizing. So that's one way that she gets a little snipe in at Kyle. I think the other way is when he's coordinating them, getting the joyriding adolescent or pre-adolescent back with the car that he stole. She has magnet powers, but she lets like three other people fly off and try to like intercept and then pick up this car and bring it back there. And she's just like, yeah, you guys got this. Yeah, I got magneto powers. I could totally just wave my little finger and bring that car back here, but uh... No, you guys, you big, strong superheroes, go, you go do a good job. That's All a right? good, that is a good point, yeah. She does. Zing. Yeah, take that, Kyle. Mm. Gotta say, Hercules doesn't do that much better. No? He has some fun moments. I like when he hits everybody with a tree. Mm-hmm. When Val is like, uh, we need to tell these guys to calm down. And he's just like, no, I know a better way. And he uproots a tree and smacks everybody with it. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the people involved in the fight are like the Hulk and Black Goliath. I'm sure they're fine. Iron Fist gets smacked in the tummy with a tree by Hercules and goes flying. He's got to at least have some bruised ribs from that, you got to imagine. Can't feel good. No. But he wished he'd stayed on that horse that he was on a panel ago and then got off and switched groups again. For no reason. There is so much confusing stuff in this this comic book. What were some things that confused you? Well, I am still mad both at the dad and the kid who stole the car. Because <laughs> I don't think that has anything to do with the kid claiming to be a defender, right? They just saw somebody asking for help. Yeah, I guess he maybe blames the defenders the dad blames the kid, the defenders because the kid got all jazzed up about the idea of being a superhero after watching their but the, show. The, the dad makes up a lie. He says there's some He's big, a big super, strong, yeah, yeah, super person took my car. Oh my gosh, it was awful. And then it's his kid. And then he's then he's mad at the defenders and threatens to sue them. And it doesn't make it. That part does really doesn't make any sense. I don't think. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. It is Kyle that's leading the team, but I think that if you went up to a group of superheroes and are like, "Hey, there's a little kid driving that car. He could hurt a lot of people. Can you please get him back here?" I don't think they'd just be like, mm, "You know, we really were looking for more supervillain type things." Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I'm I'm not saying that that's not a situation at first glance that doesn't need to be rectified. It's just... Oh, no, he definitely misrepresents himself. I'm yeah. saying there was no need for him to misrepresent himself. Yeah. And, yeah, and, he and seems like a real... And then mad about it. And then he's mad at the kid, too. And, I mean, granted, the kid saying that it would be a funny prank to steal his dad's car and drive away on the streets of New York is berserk. Speaking of motor vehicle mishaps in this issue... Everybody piling on to the outside of the Hellcat mobile. What the hell, man? I kept trying to figure out the physics of that situation, especially with Black Goliath being part of that group. Yeah, um, I, with the exception of the superhero aspect, had some fond flashbacks to my youth in New Hampshire. 
Oh, that's right. Uh, playing was a stuntman Bob. Bill. Stuntman Bill. Yeah, and also just in general, we there was like one friend that had a car and like a bunch of us. So. And this is when you were like ten or eleven, right? The stuntman Bill stuff was, but then also later in in teenage years, you know, one kid would have a car and stuff was far away, so you'd try and pack. Like, oh yeah, no, we packed kids. people into it, but at that point, when when you were as teenagers that were driving around on like highways and stuff, inside only, inside the car only. Yeah, mm-hmm. we did when we were hitchhiking in Mexico. Have that one time when we were hanging onto the outside of the the car. Yep. Nope. That was terrifying. That was a bad idea. I'm not going to do that again. No, me either. Okay. Probably. <laughs> Yeah, that was just, like, a weird situation of physics going on there. And also, like, that was one of the things with Hercules, where he defers a lot of judgment calls to Patsy in that situation. And I love Patsy, but I think you could look at the group of heroes you have assembled, see her pull up in her fucking Miata, and be like, yeah, that's maybe not gonna work. I loved it. It was Patsy all the way. (laughs) It was comical. It was dangerous. It was fun. It was. I was surprised that when the police arrested them all at the end, she didn't bring out her, like, diplomatic immunity Avengers card. Mm. And she wouldn't be the only person in that group that would have one. Hercules would presumably have one, too. Mm. Seems like a missed opportunity there. Well, I guess they didn't get in trouble. At the end of the book, I think they all got arrested. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The whole team. Yeah. So, yeah, they totally could have. Diplomatic immunity. Probably happened off panel. Maybe they were worried that Mel Gibson would show up and shoot them and say, Diplomatic immunity revoked. Like at the end of Lethal Weapon. Ugh. I know the eh for Mel Gibson, and I will stand by that, but that was a really fun, dumb scene. Yeah, like, that's I, not I, how I, that works. I enjoyed those movies as a kid. Yeah, before. I cannot revisit them. But nope, he's awful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still, it's not, not fair to Danny Glover to... Just remove make, those make movies from the lexicon. Oh, Gibson. Well, I guess that wasn't fair either. Good point. <laughs> I saw he's in a horrible Christmas movie that just came out. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing that one. Uh-uh. I have a soft spot for horrible Christmas movies. We watched the uh, Dolly Parton one from the mid-90s the other night. It's like, Unexpected Angel. Oh, no. That sounds so bad. It is very bad. I really enjoyed it. Ugh. So at the end of the issue, when the cops do arrest all of the superheroes and supervillains, do you think there was like maybe a panel missing or one that I didn't catch? There is actually, from my copy of this comic book, half of one panel missing from the fight scene. You read a different reprint of it. In that half a panel, did it establish maybe that they were on the patio of a fancy restaurant, maybe? Because we've seen in the past that the only time the cops in New York do their job and arrest heroes that are on marauding and causing property damage is if fancy restaurants are involved. Was there a patio that I just missed? Uh, I can't remember, but let's go with, yep. I think there probably has to be. Yeah, little uh, champagne flutes scattered everywhere. Yeah, the, the, like the police got called in by the, the maitre d' who was mm-hmm. off to one side. So. They all wrecking everything. Yes, yes, exactly. No? That one didn't, didn't come out right at all. How did it come out? I thought it came out fine. I th- oh. No, Major D's are supposed to be French. Oh, then, yeah, I'm sorry. They are wrecking everything! <laughs> there we go. All right. That's good. Your French Thank accent's you. really good. Well, I'm I'm working on it. I, I think if, if I am able to do a French accent, I mean, it'll never compare with your French accent. Oh, I've spent more time there. You've been to France. Yeah, that's, so, what, that's what I mean. <laughs> right, that's where you picked it up. No, but in general right now, uh, I have two possible European accents, pirate or vampire. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, regardless of where it starts, it will end up in one of those two categories. There's a little Arnold from Terminator. Yeah, I guess that's true. I think I, I think I consider him more of a psychic vampire, perhaps. Now, when you bring in the series of young adult novels that I read three of, Vampirates, then the whole thing's all blown to hell. What? Yeah, they were vampire pirates. I gathered. Well, I, I, I hope. I wasn't sure. Yeah, no, they, they, yeah. Huh. So they were not good books. Who drives the pirate ship when uh, it's daytime? Mm, unclear. Maybe they just sail at nighttime and then they just board it up at the daytime. Just like drop an anchor. Yeah. Or just, you know, set it on automatic. Pirate ships don't have automatic. I mean, I guess... Vampire ships do. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, there's probably some like uh, an amulet mm-hmm. or a portal. It's yeah. all done with portals and amulets these days, Corey. Uh, portals and amulets, eh? Mm-hmm. Okay. Vampirates. Oh, that's a good theme song. Thanks. So I talked about the subtle diss that I thought that Black Goliath had on Hank Pym. Mm-hmm. There was another subtle diss that I think was in here. And maybe I'm misreading it, but it was from Patsy on Hercules. When the teams are being divvied up, Hercules just kind of randomly gestures towards Havoc, Hellcat, Captain Ultra, Black Goliath, White Tiger, and Iron Fist, and says, these guys are my team. And Patsy's response to that is, yay, bad guys haven't got a chance against Herc, Hellcat, and these rip-snorting super hunks. Mm -hmm. Now, by saying that and listing them in that order, she's excluding Hercules from the category of super hunks. That seems unfair. I think he's pretty hunky, don't you? Sure. He's got that nice beard. Yeah, you're right. Real muscly. You can't argue with the logic there, but I gotta think she is including all the all the guys. And she says, "No, it would be like if it was you and a bunch of other really handsome dudes." And I said, "These handsome dudes and Corey are gonna kick your butt." (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa! (laughs) Yeah, she does basically say that. Although, it is possible, I believe, I'm not sure if the timing works out, but I think she might have been on the Avengers at the same time as Hercules, so maybe they just have a different relationship, and she has ceased to objectify him in the same way that she is the other people that she's hanging out with. Also, I don't think she knows any of their names yet. Mm-hmm. So that that may just be what's yeah. going on there. Rip snorting super hunks. Yeah, which I, I hope that's what's going on, because... I can honestly see Hercules' feelings being really hurt by that. And him being like, Verily, I am the most rip-snorting of all super hunks. And then just starting to, like, bench-press a tree or something. Well, whilst pouting. Yeah, super pouting. This tree isn't even heavy. <laughs> but mine heart is. <laughs> oh, I bruise super ego. I know you don't like to talk much about Codename Fuckface, but what were your thoughts on him being subsumed by a radioactive amoeba? Well, my initial thoughts were, hooray! Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty much it. He's still a fuckface. They're definitely trying to give him a redemptive arc here, and having it be that the Soviet government won't listen to him and see that he's turned a new page and is trying to help them and take responsibility for his actions. Nah, 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 fuck that guy. I enjoyed seeing him do a bad job and then uh, and then get punished for it. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry that the rest of Siberia is going to suffer for the magnitude of his fuckitude. 
the way that I'm sure that they are. But I did take some joy in seeing him getting uh, sucked up by a giant amoeba. Yeah, gross. <laughs> what a dumb fuck face. Yeah, he really is. Well, are you ready to get into the minutia? Yep. All right, Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey. Yep. Let's start this minutia off with a banger. Behold or be gone. Oh, okay, what do we got? So, you can have the powers of any one of the defenders for a day. Heroic or villainous. But everywhere you go, your only means of transportation is rolling six deep in a Miata. <laughs> do I get to choose the other other people in the Miata? You do not. They are going to be other members, but you don't know which ones. So, Corey, behold or be gone. Oh, man, behold. That sounds like a blast. What if it's you and Captain Ultra and Whirlwind? It's just you and a bunch of MRA incels. And Black Goliath, because he's huge, jammed into a Mazda Miata. That's a risk you're willing to take? Well, how much driving do we have to do? Anywhere you go. I didn't think that one through. That's bad What company. power would you take, though? Oh, man. And how's that going to offset it? Well, lifelong lover of all forms of martial arts action, I gotta go with my man Iron Fist. Okay. But... Plus, then you got diamonds on the soles of your shoes and you're super rich. Which is which is a perk, right? But man, you're gonna smell I don't want like to have shit. To sit next to jerks. It all, might all not day be long. jerks. It's it's you got it's a calculated risk, and it depends how you're calculating it. Well, the scenario you just laid out sounds far from ideal, but you think it's worth it? We for got the martial what, arts nineteen prowess? some odd possible people, right? So I'm gonna. How long does this last for? Is it like for the rest of your life? So like every as long as you have the superpowers. Oh, as long as you have the superpowers, yeah, and you can choose. You can choose which superpowers, and you can stop at any point. But once you give it up, then you don't get the superpowers and not have to go oh, yeah, six okay. deep in a Miata everywhere you go. No, but, and um, once you once you cut it off, it's gone. Yeah, that's fair. So behold, definitely because that way I get the chance to um, have some really cool powers and, and do some cool shit. Worst case, I'm in a car with jerks i hate and i can't handle it anymore and i just say okay stop yeah you're not just in a car though you're in a mazda miata and that's why i am saying be gone well i would sorely love to have magnet powers which is the ones that i would take i would take polaris's magnetism because you can do anything if you got magnetism it is a power to end all powers but i think coupling that with having to drive everywhere in a mazda miata six deep with these people, many of whom are total jerks, I don't think it's worth it. I It's tough, and I think this is colored by the fact that when my dad had a midlife crisis, he got a Mazda Miata. And so I, I have not rolled six deep in a Miata, but I've rolled four deep in a Miata, and that's no fun. So the idea of, like, stuffing two other people in there, well, that's what Hellcat's Hellcat Mobile basically is. It is definitely a two-seater. I can see you fitting a third in there, maybe, but... They are all climbing on the outside of that thing like it's the school bus from the Great Muppet Caper. And I just don't think it's quite worth it. I think knowing that I have magnet powers and could fly, and that I'm not allowed to and I have to go in this, would push it over the edge. 
And there's also, it seems like, a pretty good chance, at least a 1 in 3 chance, that my boss would be Kyle. And good job with a bad boss. That's no good. So I'm saying be gone. And I'm going to stick with behold. It's a, it's a risk worth taking, and I can, st- I can stop it at any time I wish. So, Corey, what was your favorite sound effect? This issue was full of good sound effects. There are a lot of really good sound effects in here. It is the most fun sound effect dense issue we've seen in a while, I think. I narrowed it down to a few. What did you end up with? Right, I wound up choosing three also. I think my favorite is on page 22, and it it is... Ploosh! I had that one written down too. Which is the sound of Codename Fuckface being sucked into a disgusting radioactive giant amoeba. It's pretty good, and it's pretty satisfying to see that happen. I also had from very early in the comic the Hulk getting hit by Black Goliath and Havoc. It makes a couple of different noises. I don't like what's happening, but I do like a punch making the noise, bzap! Mm-hmm. And Havoc's blast making the noise, zot! Yep. Zot is really fun. It's good Z sound. We have Electro's powers making the noise, zeep! And I thought zeep was really fun. But I think my absolute favorite is when Hercules hits everybody with a giant tree. It makes the noise, Cusmatch! And it's a circular sound effect, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It's like an Ouroboros of tree-smacking triumph. It's very, very impressive. And, like, I don't know if I was able to convey it by reading it aloud, but, like, lots of Ks, lots of As... Lots of M's, lots of T's, like a lot of doubling of the consonants and vowels. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just ends up with a pretty, like, evocative noise that you can kind of see heroes getting hit with a giant tree making. It's not something I've experienced firsthand, but I'm looking at it, I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. Seems good. Yeah. Yeah. Sartorially speaking, what elements of fashion did you feel were worthy of note? Man, there were so many characters... In this, um, a lot of them I feel like we've already kind of gone over mm-hmm. their outfits, but uh, we already talked about the my choice, which was Electro. Sure. Because I thought his mask was crazy, what I thought were his uh, little lightning bolt suspenders were pretty cute. Overall, it's just kind of a weird, good superhero or super bad guy or whatever look. It is a nice look. I'm familiar enough about it that when I look at it, I'm just like, oh yeah, that's Electro. But yeah, when you think about it, That is a weird look for a dude, and a pretty fun one. I wanted to talk about a couple of similarities that I saw amongst the bad guy team. And so you have both Whirlwind and Sagittarius, and I think Porcupine, all have metal masks that have frowny faces on them. (laughs) And that is a really specific choice that they made. Mm. You could just have a neutral grill, you could have a smiling one, Mm -hmm. but... I like that each of them sat down and was just like, no, I'm a bad guy. Bad guys are frowny. And uh, yeah, just made metal frowny faces. Or possibly, maybe they had a comedy and tragedy mask at home. And they're just like, held them up and was like, which one looks more villainous? I'm going to take the the frowny face and build the rest of the costume around that. But I'm hanging on to this happy one in case I have a really good supervillain day. Hmm. So generally, I really enjoyed that aspect of all of those looks, 
But uh, I gotta say, Sagittarius, I don't remember to what extent we talked about him, because when he was introduced, we also had to talk about, like, 11 other costumes. He's got a weird combination of Wolverine and Sagat from Street Fighter 2 going on for him. Mm -hmm. And then also, like, an asymmetrical yellow lightning bolt across a black spandex outfit. He's a piece of shit. But I like his outfit. He's got good style there. And, uh, yeah, uh, just well done. All right. Two villains. Indeed. Corey, what was your pie not made out of steel? What words did you enjoy most, much like you would enjoy a pie, were it not made out of steel? Like, say, you would enjoy a uh, cranberry pie. Ah. Which you made two delicious ones for Thanksgiving a couple of days ago. Oh, thank you. Yeah, those were a hit. Mm -hmm. I had two choices. Uh, One we already talked about on page seven. It's a Hellcat's perhaps inadvertent diss of Hercules and the rip-snorting hunks. That one was pretty good. Which sounds like a weird band name. Hercules and the rip-snorting hunks? Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty good. I had a different Hercules one picked out. It was towards the end of the book. on page 31. Yes, it is. Okay, that's my other choice. It's really fun. Heed not the slanderous utterances of yon mealy-mouthed cabbage. Throughout Olympus, the word of Hercules is unimpeachable. Yep, that was that was my other choice. I love the insult mealy-mouthed cabbage. I really liked that, too. It made me wonder if he came up with that insult when he was fighting the bad guys and was like, This is what I'm going to use on Plant Man, mealy-mouthed cabbage. Good one, Herc. And then at the end, he's like, Oh, the fight's over. Um... I guess it's Sagittarius that's talking, but I got mealy mouth cabbage loaded up. I don't want to waste it. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably what was going on. Yeah, it's good. Calling but, somebody a lying cabbage. That's like oh, a man. That's a good diss. Yep. All right, good choice. Yeah, likewise. Thanks. Every issue of a Defenders comic has at least one character who acts in a manner counter to their previously established character or motivation in a way that furthers the plot. To paraphrase the fat boys from Crush Groove, they just gotta be a sucker. In this issue, who was your sucker? Well, we kind of described why and who already earlier on, and I had Tony Stark as no glorified delivery boy. Like, Mm. it just did not make sense to me. He was like, hey, this letter's been on the coffee table, one of my many coffee tables in my mansion, I don't know, or at Avengers headquarters. Yeah. uh, For a couple weeks now, so I'm just gonna fly it all the way over here and hand deliver it to Hellcat and, and also let them know about the whole hullabaloo with the fake defenders. Yeah, that seems like a FaceTime call he'd make. Mm-hmm. Not not a personal delivery. Also, the fact that he leaves just pulling an Irish goodbye while other people are talking, he just ducks out without saying anything to anybody. I've never heard that phrase before. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, yes, people pull that at parties sometimes. Heard it called, uh, ghosting also. That too. But yeah, I don't see that being an Iron Man move. I feel like he wants to make a dramatic entrance and a dramatic exit. And I don't see him just being like, nobody will notice if I just slip out. Mm -hmm. I see him thinking, everyone will notice when I'm gone, so I'll make sure to hang a little bell on that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good choice. I actually had the Marvel NYPD as my collective suckas for choosing now to start enforcing the law as it pertains to superheroes and villains. I mean, 
Maybe we missed the panel in which it is established that it is an outdoor fancy restaurant. If that's the case, then I'll rescind that and go with Tony Stark. But as it stands, unless they are in a swanky outdoor bistro, I just don't see them showing up to arrest everybody. Yep. And on top of that, granted, they didn't necessarily that we know of have the opportunity to do so, but they did not shoot at or otherwise antagonize the Hulk. Yeah. Seems like a weird move. Mm Mm-hmm. Every issue of a Defenders comic has a best defender and a worst defender. In this issue, who did you have as the best defender? (laughs) You may not agree with this, but I had Hercules because I thought he was hilarious. He used a giant tree to hit everybody (laughs) and knock some sense into them. That's some good leadership right there. He formed one of the teams and was decisive in, in picking them. Uh, he was part of a madcap pile-on to a Mazda Miata <laughs> to go fight crime. And he called somebody a lion cabbage. I had him as a backup for both my best and worst for all of the reasons that you just outlined. <laughs> okay. But for best, I decided to go with, gosh, it, it's difficult, I, either Val or Polaris. I feel like Val did choose randomly, but she at least made sure that everybody on her team had a way to get where they were going. And now she was the only leader who did that. She was certainly more diplomatic with her team and with her approach to leadership than either Hercules or Kyle was. What I think keeps me from choosing her as the best defender was the fact that we don't really see what she did in this adventure. And hers is the only team that we don't see any action out of. So I'm going to withhold judgment on that, but I do think she probably did a great job. One one thing too, which maybe you'll mention, but she she did also appoint Kyle to be one of the three team Ooh, captains. Yeah, that is, does... I think not a great call. Yeah, good point. So that does leave her out of contention. So I'm going to go with Polaris for the reasons that we mentioned for, uh, for kind of just getting in a bunch of subtle digs at Kyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which brings us to Worst Defender. And even with potentially 32 Defenders to choose from, I still had to go with Kyle. I did too, and I feel, I guess not conflicted about it, but I feel annoyed that that he keeps giving me reasons he to choose him. He doesn't give you any choice. I thought it would be this would be a great opportunity to get some variety in our Worst Defender. There were some people that were genuinely shitty in this too. None of them were worse than him, though. He was such a jerk. So, okay, I also had the annoyance that he makes Tagak feel bad. And Tagak's the one at the beginning who's like, okay, dude, I'll be on your team if you keep your temper in check. Yeah. And then he gets all passive-aggressive and shitty about, like, oh, is this slow enough flying for you? Yeah, yeah that he made Tagak apologize for not being able to fly. Fuck that. I'm never apologizing for not being able to fly. Me neither. It's who I am, damn it. No flying. Safe and sound, feet on the ground. Oh. I stole that from a pro wrestler that I like. Ah. He makes PowerPoint presentations about why you should never jump off the third rope. Oh, really? Yeah. He's great. It's Drew Gulak. Okay. Yeah, I had Kyle also. I had Patsy as my backup for, uh, despite the fact that she was really fun, the we can all pile into my Miata move. Come on, Patsy. I know you like driving that thing, but come on. I love that. I I think your personal feelings about Miatas have (laughs) colored your judgment. It was fun, but I felt so bad for Black Goliath. He was fine. Was he? 
I mean, not only does he have to ride on the outside of the car, but that fucking half a cone he's got around his neck has got to cause a ton of wind resistance. Yeah. I'm sure it wasn't the most Convertibles comfortable Convertibles are not the way to go with that, dude. No. What was your favorite panel? I had uh, two choices. I'm going to start with my backup, which, because we were just talking about it, and it's on page 11, and I call it mechanical horsepower. <laughs> and it's where uh, Hellcat brings out the, the Miata for everybody, and that's just a, it's a well-done panel. I had the same one, actually. I love that panel. Oh, really? I, I thought it was really fun, and I called it All Aboard or The Great Defender's Caper, because mm. it totally reminds me of The Great Muppet Caper. Which, man, when I was a kid, I remember having a long argument with my mom about why I should be able to ride on the outside of the car the way the Muppets did. <laughs> nice. Didn't go well. No. I wasn't allowed you to. You lost. I understand why now, but I still disagree with that decision. I would have been fine. It was the great state of New Hampshire where she probably wouldn't have gotten in that much trouble. Well, I don't think any. I think if she tried to put a helmet on me, she would have gotten in trouble. <laughs> Live free or die, but preferably both. That's the state That's motto. That's the motto. You had another? I did. On page 23, uh, Team Hercules, it's the one at the top of the page which shows everybody piled into the convertible and Black Goliath looking pretty uncomfortable. He's maybe in, like, if it has one of those little trunk things that opens, he's, like, crouched in that. Yeah. And it's just, again, it has that kind of Muppet, Muppet caper thing going on and it's fun and goofy. I agree. That was a very fun panel. Also on that page when they first show up and you see all of the bad guys robbing the bank, the reveal of all the bad guys is pretty fun. Plus, it's uh, it's got Porcupine in it. Mm-hmm. I like Porcupine. He's a jerk. Yeah, he's a jerk. But it always makes me happy seeing his dumb, goofy outfit. Mm-hmm. It is, it is dumb and goofy. We all know that the Hulk rules. But in this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? I think they really boil down to to this idea that what goes around comes around, and if you feel like you're going to need help at some point, don't be an asshole. Mm. And he summarizes that by basically saying, fight your own fight and storming off. But it's just ridiculous to treat people badly. And then try to tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I had the same triggering event, obviously, uh, as the impetus behind my Hulk's rule. But it's a simple rule that I think we'd all do well to learn, which is that if your friends show up at your house and surprise attack you out of nowhere and try to beat you up, they're not really your friends. Mm -mm. That was a lesson that Hulk learned the hard way. But learn it he did, which is why he was like, fuck it, out of here. Mm -hmm. Wait, so your Hulk's rule is if your friends show up at your house <laughs> to try, try to beat, beat you up, up, they're not your real friends. Okay. Yep. That's not what friendship is about, Corey. No, it's a good rule. Have you ever had a friend show up at your house and try to beat you up? I don't think so. Really? Having known some of your friends, honestly, that does kind of surprise me. That could have happened. I don't remember. I did have a friend uh, push a bunch of sheetrock onto my head when he was over at my house because he thought it would be funny. And I hurt my head pretty badly. Yeah, it can be heavy. And I didn't think it was funny. No. And he just ran out after that. That's <laughs> a logical kid response to yeah, I get a bad it. choice. Yeah. Run. I feel like he might have stolen something, too. Oh, man. Yeah. Also not a friend. Yeah, no. Not a exactly. real friend. I, and that's the lesson that I learned, which the Hulk just learned. Well, Corey, the time has come for us to write some wongs. All right. So, in the year of our Lord, 1978, and the month of our Lord, September, 
What Wongs needed writing? So Wong had a had a good opportunity in September of seventy eight. Uh, had some vacation time saved up. Got a line on some some cheap tickets to Italy, where he thought he'd be able to combine uh, two of his loves: cinema and pasta. Mm. So he's gonna go there. He's gonna eat some good food. You're gonna and, go see um, a spaghetti western. Oh no, that would have that would have been nice had there had I been able to work that in. But no, instead, actually, it's he is a real film buff, right? Mm-hmm. So all all the genres and sub genres he's into various kinds, in particular, one that he was excited about that dovetailed with his his journey to Italy is uh, uh, giallo. I might be saying it wrong, but it's the Italian word for yellow. Mm. And it's a subgenre of movies that are kind of like uh, murder, mystery, horror movies, psychological thrillers, of which uh, a friend of his, a former pen pal, Dario Argento, was a, oh. a progenitor of. So he went to Turin to, to meet his buddy Dario, and they had some pasta. <laughs> Afterwards, they're sitting around having their brandy and cigars, relaxing, and um, Dario said, hey, oh, my American friend, uh, George Romero, is having a premiere of uh, Day of the Dead. It's a horror movie he made. It's 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 not a giallo movie, but I, I think you'll like it. It's, it's got some supernatural elements, and I know you have some exposure to that. And Wong's like, okay, that sounds good. So they finish their meal, and they, they go to the theater to see the premiere in Turin, Italy, on the 1st of September, 1978, of uh, Day of the Dead. Uh, sorry, Dawn of the Dead. That's the shopping mall one, It's right? the shopping yeah. mall one, yeah. So that's the one. They go see Dawn of the Dead. And... It turns out that there had been some police activity earlier on in the theater where there had been uh, somebody that was a drug dealer. Oh. All different sorts of drugs, but the cops had chased him through this whole area. He tried to hide out in the movie theater, realized that the cops are onto him. They came in with some dogs. He got freaked out and he stashed his drugs all over the theater. Um, And it just so happened that Wong and, and Dario Argento sat in a place next to where several sheets of blotter acid oh, no. had been stashed. And they also, even though they had a big meal earlier, they had a little Jamaican incense after and were feeling pretty hungry. So they got big tubs of uh, buttery popcorn. And uh, Wong's like, oh, shit, I wish I had some napkins. Oh, wait, there's this big pile of napkins here. They're a little crinkly. Oh, no. And so through the whole movie, he's <laughs> rubbing his face and hands with these sheets of really strong blotter acid. And one thing led to another, and you just can imagine fucking yeah. bad trip. Yeah. Really bad. Creepy zombie movie, groundbreaking special effects with heads exploding. By the end of the movie, Wong was freaking the fuck out and just ran out of the theater, thinking everybody was zombies and wanted to eat him. And he ran, and then he got tired, and then he walked, and he ran some more. He just kept going approximately 92 miles over 10 days and found himself in Monza, Italy, where the Formula One Grand Prix was taking place. (laughs) Still tripping balls because that shit was strong. Still thinking everybody was zombies. Somehow found his way onto the racetrack and all the people in the stands were up and and yelling and there was a, a, a big race getting ready to get started. And he pushed somebody aside and jumped into the car and took off. And it turns off that the person that he pushed aside was the American racer Mario Andretti. Oh. Who was driving for Lotus at the time. And Wong just floored it and kept going around in circles, thought everybody was out to get him, and wound up winning the Grand Prix. Now, a lot of people think it, it really was Andretti that, oh. that, that won it, and they didn't realize he sort of got pushed into the pit and Wong took off. But yeah, that's, that's wow. the story. He had quite a tense uh, first 10 days in September 1978. My goodness. Well, that was not the only sporting event that Wong attended that day. 
He also had been hanging out with his old good friend, Jim Bouton, who was attempting a comeback to Major League Baseball after a seven-year hiatus. Mm. Jim Bouton, of course, the author of Ball Four, a book about his days uh, going back and forth between the minors and the majors. After that was published, he had a bit of a career as a broadcaster. And also, and this is how Wong had met him, uh, Wong was one of the early product testers for a product called Big League Chew <laughs> that Jim Bouton introduced. Um, and so uh, Wong had struck up a friendship with, with Jim Bouton over this time. And so Bouton, when he made his comeback to the major leagues, which was unprecedented after that much time off, and he was, I think, 38 years old at the time, he was throwing a knuckleball. And that was a relatively new development for him. And part of how a knuckleball works is it just goes in ways that are unpredictable. There's no spin on the ball because you're throwing it with the tips of your knuckles. And so it just moves in an unpredictable way that makes it's not going very fast, but very hard for batters to hit. That's why older pitchers will sometimes transition to that. And people who throw that will generally have longer careers. Wong had helped him work on that, but he also added a few different whammies so that that ball took a few extra turns. And that is why on September 17th, Jim Bouton won his first game back in the league uh, throwing a knuckleball. All right. Now, during the time when they were working on the knuckleball, Jim got to know Wong pretty well and really kind of got interested in Wong's interest in engineering and he was always tinkering with something. And so Wong actually served as inspiration for a character that Jim Bouton portrayed later on in his life. Gyro Gearloose, the inventor from DuckTales, which Jim Bouton did the voice for. <laughs> that character was inspired in part by Wong and his constant tinkering. Far out. And that is what Wong was doing with his Wong doings in September of 1978. Wow. Yeah, Jim Bouton is great. And, you know, the other funny aspect of that little story you just shared is that if it weren't for Wong, my dad's nickname... Gyro Gear Loose, <laughs> which he gave to himself, so I don't know if that's really a nickname. Huh. He had an email handle at one point, right. back in the Yahoo days. To be fair, I don't think your dad watched a lot of DuckTales. It was a character who existed as a character in the comic books by Carl Barks, well before there was a DuckTales cartoon. I still like to think that there's a Wong connection. I think there is. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. This has been a treat for me. And... Me as well. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so by contacting us via P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. If you wish to contact us electronically, you can do so because it is the future. We can be reached at <laughs> ttwasteland at gmail.com. Uh, we're up all up in the many other nooks and crannies of the internet in every place you would expect us and some places you might not. We're on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn and possibly still Grinder. Still don't really know how that one works. And, you know, probably other places too. Just type into your search engine, tighten up the defense, make sure you spell it T-I-T-A-N. And, uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll pop out of your computer like Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. And help you save your mansion from... Catherine O'Hara and her friends. Probably that's what'll happen. I'll probably have some kind of crazy, stretched out chicken face and Goriel not. Hopefully not. <laughs> so, 
But Good. really, the best thing is don't lose your mansion in the first place. Yeah. An ounce of prevention saves you a visit from Michael Keaton. Yep. If you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes, you can do that. Or, you know, however you're listening to this podcast, just go into whatever app you're listening to in it and uh, click on a button. And it'll probably say, do you want to give these guys five stars? And you'll be like, hell yeah, I want to give these guys five stars. Maybe I'll say a nice thing too. I think Hub and Corey are nice men. They're human men from Earth who make a great podcast. Also, Hub has it on the authority of a seven-year-old who knows that he's the fastest man in the world. So... Oh, that's a true story. Yeah. I beat a seven-year-old in a foot race and therefore am the fastest man in the world. Oh, you do yourself a disservice. You didn't mention that was after Thanksgiving dinner. That's true. That, so, that would slow anybody down. One would think. But not me. Nope. Fastest man in the world. Woo. So yeah, that's why you should say all of that verbatim in the review. And yeah, if you'd like to donate to the show monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. Uh, if you do, you get access to a bunch of bonus material, including the monthly podcast that I co-host with my wife Lisa about Howard the Duck comics from the 70s. That's called What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. There should be a new one that just went up in the past few days of when this one comes out. So, yeah, look for that. It is Howard the Duck number 12, a momentous issue. Which, well, I don't want to spoil it for you, but there are some surprise guests at the end. Anyway, you should check that out. And also, I've been making a bunch of little videos about licensed property tie-in comic books. And they've been really good. It's helped me go back and reread a bunch of great comics that are really much better than they have any right to be. Uh, Micronauts is freaking amazing. and uh, I loved I those toys as a kid. I never had any of the toys, didn't really know anything about them, but damn, that's a good comic book series. Mm. And yeah, Godzilla was great. Chuck Norris Karate Commando is better than I expected. Anyway, I make little video reviews of a bunch of those and have been for the past month or so, so maybe you would like those. It's only one way to find out. And that's by paying the piper. It's me, I'm the piper. Yeah, that's some good piping, Corey. Thanks for contributing. You're welcome. Goodbye. Bye.